if I was given a title, the title won't actually tell you much uh, about what I'm going to say, but assistance for your assignment, assistance for your assignment. Exodus chapter 23, this is a fascinating portion of Scripture. I absolutely love it. And it says this, in verse, starting in verse 20, Behold, I send an angel before you. Now, I don't know, you just stop there. I don't know about you, but that fascinates me. God says, I send an angel before you. What is this angel to do? He says, to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Fascinating. God says, I send an angel. I'm sending an angel before you. And this angel is going to do two things. He's going to keep you in the way and he's going to, he's going to bring you into the place that he has prepared. He says, beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him. Now, that fascinates me. You know, have you ever thought about it? I, look, we could talk an hour about this, but like, what is our relationship with angels? You know, uh, first of all, uh, on one side, I don't think we as Christians in the church today spend near enough time focusing on the fact that Christianity itself is a supernatural life. A lot of Christians come to church on Sunday morning, you know, in many different churches, to get another message to help them to live another week. Come on, Pastor, teach me today on dealing with stress. Come on, Pastor, help me with my marriage today. What am I going to get today? Help with my finances? You know, it's like all this natural stuff. It's like, Pastor, help me. Give me a message to help me get a better life. When actually what we need to understand is this life of Christianity is a supernatural life. And we need to begin to break open the truths that unfold this unseen world that's going on behind the scenes while we're sitting here right now. Part of that is angels, you know, and look, there are, the Bible clearly teaches us that each of us has angels. You know, we have more than one angel. And so, you know, this room is, is full of far more angels than there are people right now. If your eyes could be open, you would see lots and lots of angels in this place. Now you say, so what? Well... If that's the case, God sent them, then they must be important. They're there for a reason. And my, my point is simply this, is that it's not right for us to just go on day after day, never acknowledging all the supernatural things that are God has sent us, all the assistance, the help, you know. And the angels are there to assist us. And um, anyway... Oh, I love this. When it says, beware of him, obey his voice, do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your betrayals. I think of this. What is our relationship with angels? You know that, um, you know, first of all, we really don't have a relationship with angels. Uh, we have a relationship with God. We don't order angels, you know. They don't do our bidding. We don't pray to angels, you know. But So... You know, they answer to God. They do God's bidding. But by the same tokens, you don't, you, you, you don't operate in what you don't have faith for. And if you don't acknowledge that God has given you the assistance, supernatural assistance of angels to help fight for you, protect you, 
you know, provide for you. Uh, you know, angels do provide. You know, ask Elijah. They provide. And, uh, and if you don't acknowledge that, you don't have faith for it. And what you don't have faith for will not work in your life. So do you understand there's two sides? We don't have relationship with angels. By the same token, we need to, to, we need to have a deep understanding of who these angels are. Now, let me say something about these angels. And this is not my main point, by the way, is angels. Actually, you'll see what, what we're getting to in this passage. But let me say something about angels. Who are these angels? What are these angels? You know, these angels are not, first of all, little fat babies playing a harp, wearing a diaper, sitting on a cloud. You with me now? You know, it's just like the picture that is painted of Jesus, this whole false narrative that Jesus is some kind of wimpish-looking, long-haired, you know, you know, sweet little creature with a halo over his head carrying a lamb. You know, who do you think paints these types of images for us of Jesus and of angels? I mean, it's got to be the devil because he wants to paint a picture. I mean, come on. Y'all ever think about this stuff? Because, you know, why? Why would he paint that picture? Because he wants us to have an image of our supernatural assistance as something that's weak, anemic, effeminate, no power, no ability. Hallelujah. First of all, with angels, they're not little fat babies. Anytime you see them in the Bible, they're these great warriors. One of them is sent to de literally destroy the enemy in a whole city. Hallelujah. And then this little image of Jesus, that's not the image that I have. My Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Hallelujah. He's the one that kicked over the table of the money changers in the temple. Amen? Yeah. Ah, I like that. You need to have a little growl in your gospel. So let's just go on. Watch this. Let's see. So he goes on and he says this. He will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you. Now, this is the fascinating thing. My angel will go before you and bring you into the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and the Termites and the, and the Cellulites. And the, you, you wish you had authority over that one, don't you? Cellulite out. And I will cut them off. Cellulite, cut you off. You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. So you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water. I like that. And I will take sickness away from the midst of you. Hallelujah. Now watch this. Listen to this. So it's interesting. I talked about angels. We have numerous angels around us. Who knows how many? that you have with you, assisting you all the time. 
But that's not what this angel is. We have numerous angels around us, but it's interesting that God says here, Behold, I send an angel. And he says this. He said, I send an angel before you. And when I saw that, I was meditating that one day. I thought, wait a minute. This angel is different than our, than our protective angels that we have around us daily. Because those angels are with us. This one, God says, I'm sending before you. He's not with you now. He's sent there ahead of time before you. Ah, I like that. You get that. So all of a sudden I begin to realize this angel is not a protective angel. This angel is what I call a mission angel. In other words, this angel you only get when you would accept an assignment from God. This angel, the Bible says, goes before you. He said, I send this angel before you to keep you in the way. And to bring you into the place that I have prepared for you. And I begin to realize, begin to think about this, that you know what? A lot of people miss out on their supernatural assistance that God has provided for them because that supernatural assistance only kicks in when they kick in in obedience to what God's called them to do. That many times there's this mentality that like, I can sit here in church, receive from God, come on, bless me church, bless me pastor, and the whole thing's about me, and I've come to God, I've been forgiven of my sins, I'm right with God, you know, now I'm trying to just live a better life, but there's no thought about there must be a destiny on my life, and there's a call on my life to give what God has given to me out to the world around me. And when we live that kind of self-absorbed, self-consumed life, then we wonder, then people get in the crisis or something comes up and they wonder, why, God, don't you answer me? Why is God not working in my behalf? And the thing is this, is that God, miracles happen for those who need a miracle. And what I mean by that is that when you move forward, and place a demand by your faith upon God, God will answer you miraculously. But there's a, there's a, my point is this, is that I fight against this, at least in my own spirit all the time, this, this whole idea in the church that, you know, the church is here to bless me. The church is here, you know, I come to church because, you know, it makes me happy. I come to church because I like this or I like that. I like the worship. I like the, something else. I like the kids' ministry. I like the music or something else. And, and so, you know, I get helped. It blesses me. And certainly when you first come into a place like this, you come to receive, get healed up, and whole. But the point is, is this, is that at some point before long, you've got to take that and turn around and say, I'm not here for just what this church can do for me, or in the broader sense, what God can do for me. But I'm here for what I can do in answer to God for the sake of the world around me. Y'all with me now? I like that. And we, when we accept that kind of assignment mentality, then what happens is, is that this angel and all kinds of supernatural assistance kicks in. 
You know, I, I thought of this, you know, you, you read stories of great men and women of God who have uh, who've been used mightily of God, and they have all these incredible miracles take place, you know, I mean, unbelievable things. And then, you know, other people say, well, I don't know, why don't we experience that? Why haven't, in my life, I don't ever seem to have those big dramatic things. And the point is, is this, and that is that, and that is that, most of the times, those kind of dramatic, miraculous things happen for those people who have stepped out of their comfort zone into an assignment from God, that who, who've made a shift from saying, God, what can I get out of this? How can you bless me? To saying, God, I want to lay my life back down before you. I want to I sign up for lordship, the lordship of Jesus Christ, surrendering my life to you, giving back to you all that you've given to me. And folks, here's the thing. You'll never, ever be really happy in life until you do that. It's so amazing that Jesus said, you only get your life back when you give it away. You've got to lose it in order to get it. There's this whole thing that, that, this vicious cycle that when, we're, when we live trying to get the life we want, it always seems to slip through our fingers. But when all of a sudden we trust God enough to say, God, I'm going to let it go, trusting that you know how to give me the life that I need for myself better than I know how, and you let it go and say, God, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? What do you want me to give, God? I mean, difference. I don't hold anything back, God. I don't hold anything in reserve. I'm surrendering. Oh, I'm letting it all go. I'm letting it all die. And when you do that, there's something powerful take place. God gets a hold of it, and then he gives it back to you. Only when he gives it back to you, it's sanctified, which means now it's holy. You with me now? And it's a blessing to you and not a curse. Oh, somebody shout hallelujah. Now, so there are conditions to this kind of angelic help or supernatural assistance. And one is this. I thought of this. Look at this statement. It said, this angel, he said, behold, I sent an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. And I was reading this one day, just meditating on it. And I said, God, what is the message here? What is the message? What are you saying? And God said, I read it real closely. He said, I said that I send an angel before you to bring you into the place I have prepared. I said, yes, Lord. Okay. He said, read again. He said, it doesn't say the angel has been sent before you to bring you into the place that you have prepared, but to bring you into the place that I have prepared. He said, many times, many of my children, even this have, like, they think they're serious with God. Man, oh, yeah, I love Jesus. I'm coming, you know, give my life to Christ. But yet, then they make their own plans and ask me to bless their plans. And it seems to be real spiritual because, look, I mean, come on, God. Hey, baby, I made these plans. I worked hard on them. Now I'm giving to you. Come on, give me a break. Come on, bless these plans. But he says that I send an angel before you, not to bring you into the place that you have prepared, but to bring you into the place that I have prepared for you. And I begin to realize how deep this thing of lordship goes. 
that it's amazing that we never really tap into the full benefits of this supernatural Christianity. We never really tap into the real deep rivers of the Holy Spirit that are available for us until we go to the level of our surrender where we understand that we not only say to God, God, I'm going to be nice to you and give you all my plans. Lord, see, bless these plans. But literally, we come to God as a blank piece of paper and say, God, I give up those plans and say to God, you rewrite the plan. Y'all listen to me now. Now, let me tell you something. That's freaky for some people because a lot of us are control freaks today. I mean, the world today is a bunch of control freaks. We've got to be in charge, man. We've got to have our ducks in it. Come on, y'all listen to me now. Hey, I'm doing some preaching here right now, whether you realize it or not. It's, you know, we used to be some, every once in a while somebody said, I'm a control, I have, yeah, I have this problem with control. Everybody's a control freak now. We're so empowered with knowledge and technology and everything. We're so used to being in control that when it comes to Christianity, we still, we want it, but we want to control it. We, we want it, we want to control it. Okay, God, look, I'm being nice to you, God. I'm going to give you this plan, Lord. Now, Lord, you know I got this house, and I want this, you know, this house. See this house, God? Now, I'm going to give, I'm going to honor you. I'm going to dedicate this house, this whole house to you, Lord. But, Lord, don't you touch it and ask me to move. I'm going to give it to you, God. I'm going to bless God. You see here, God, I'm going to honor you with this house. But, God, I'm going to stay in this house. You bless what I've decided to keep. Are you listening to me now? Instead of we've got to go deeper than that. Dig deeper and say, God, really I realize what true lordship is. Is when, God, I come to the place where I realize I no longer have any rights to myself anymore. That, that, that literally, God, God, you have blank check-writing privileges. Lord, whatever you want, you write it down, and then I will do that. Now, folks, that's, this stuff is easy to say, but it's really difficult to live. You know, we can say amen to it, but my point is this. Listen, and I beg of you to get this. Preaching this kind of lordship, you know, is something that, you know, people want to mentally ascend to, but it's like, it's like they say, can I really live like that? And my point is simply this, and that is that you never really begin to enjoy. You don't even know what life is like. How it can be, the kind of beautiful life you can have of freedom until you literally trust God enough that you can give it all up. You know, our first parents, Adam and Eve, you know that whole, you know what the real issue was with them? That whole tree in the garden thing? Do you know what the real issue was? Is that God told them not to eat of that tree. It was an issue of lordship. God, why in the world would God say you can have every other tree in this garden, but don't touch that one, don't eat that one? It wasn't just that tree 
was somehow poison. It's the disobedience to God is poison. You get that? And God was saying, I've got to give you something. Oh, y'all, you're not going to get this, I don't think. I hope you do. He says, I'm going to bless you so much with every tree in the garden that I've got to give you something to stay away from. He says, if I don't give you something to stay away from, he says that there will be no way to test whether you really made me Lord of your life or not. And your ability to enjoy all the rest of this rich blessing I give you is dependent upon whether or not you have made me Lord of your life or not. So I've got to give you something to stay away from. And when you stay away from it, then it's going to produce this holiness and this awe in your life for me that will literally keep you aligned properly and it'll make everything else work right. Hallelujah. Isn't that good? And so, you know, I I say that because let me just stop and say this. In our lives today, sometimes like, you know, there's this whole battle on raging in our culture about, you know, trying to erase the lines of stuff that God's told us to stay away from. You know, where it all becomes relative. Well, that's not so bad. You know, I mean, come on. I mean, if they feel, if, if they feel that's okay, that's okay for them, even though it's not okay for you and, and all this. And we don't understand. When we erase those lines and we remove those forbidden holy areas that God doesn't want us to touch. Are you with me now? Then what happens is, is that we pollute our very lives. You know something, I mean, it's in, i, I got to say this, you know, uh, that when you're in the area of tithing, you know, Christians, there's some, many Christians who struggle with the tithe. You know, they hear about it and they read it in the Bible and, you know, it's giving God the first tenth. And for some people, it's not even, the issue is not even so much the tenth, it's the first tenth. That's the problem. I mean, come on, after I pay the bills and after I, you know, clothe the kids and feed all this, then that's one thing. But the first tense before anything else, and they don't realize that the tithe is also an issue of establishing lordship. It's not that God needs your money. It's that he, really the tie is like the tree in the garden. Are you with me now? God gives you nine-tenths, 90% of all. He says, see all this? Eat all of it. Enjoy it. It's good. You can have it all. But it all depends upon you not touching this one tree. If you touch this tree, he said, then you're going to be removed. And you will not be able to enjoy the rest of what you've got. Y'all listen to me now. And that that tie, that first 10% is that tree. You know what Adam and Eve was really were really saying when they ate that fruit of that tree in the garden? What they were really saying to God 
Because, you know, the enemy says to him, says, has God said this, you know? And he says, that's not really true. He said, you're going to be like God when you eat this. And so what happened is this. When they ate of the fruit, really what they were saying to God was, God, we believe if we take our lives into our own hands that we can provide a better life for ourselves than we trust that you can provide for us. Because, God, the life you have ordained for us is this one of staying away from this one tree. And we believe that operating according to your rules, your laws, is somehow restricting us in some way from some measure of happiness in our life. So, God, we'll take it into our own hands, believing that we can be better to ourselves than you can be to us. I like that. Oh, I like that. I don't like they did that, but I, listen, you see that? It's crazy stuff. God, you know what? Thank you. We'll do this our way. You could be one of a thousand ways. I hate to just pick something out, but let's pick out having an affair. You know, somebody has an affair, you know. I'm talking about sexual affair, you know. Well, you know, God understands, you know, and I'm kind of weak in this area or all right, one guy came to me one time in our church, and he said, you know what? I went to high school with this girl, and we were, you know, kind of girlfriend, boyfriend then, and now I've been married 25 years, but I, I realize now it was God's will. I married her all along, and now I'm having an affair with her, but God understands because it was really God's will in the first place. And I thought, give me a break, Fred. Where, where, where did you come up with that? And this guy was like, this guy was like saying, you know, oh, you know God understands. You know, and so I'm having this affair. And so what happens is people are reasoning away. They're loosening the morals of sexuality. And then they're blurring the lines. And then they're erasing the lines of gender identification. All of these things one by one. You know, and they don't realize is that every time they erase a line, that they are removing the boundaries that God has set for our own good, that our lives may be lived in a beautiful, joyous state. Are you with me now? And that's what Adam and Eve were doing. They were saying, we can provide a better life for ourselves than God can provide for us. You know something? It does take faith, real faith, to step on and say, God, I believe you have a better life for me than I have for myself. But the thing is, is that in order to do that, you have to, you have to believe. You know, you all saying, listen, you all saying this earlier, when I don't see it, he's working. When I don't feel it, y'all saying it now. You, you said it. I didn't say it. You saying it. When I don't see it, he's working. When I don't believe he's working. You know what's interesting? Let's read this, and we just got a few minutes left, but look at this. I love this. Let's read on down in this chapter, Exodus 23, in verse 28. Isn't this interesting? He says, and I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, the Hittite from before you. You ready for this? Watch this. I will not drive them out from before you in one year. Look at me. Listen. What? Why would God... God's saying, here, I'm going to drive out these enemies, but I'm going to tell you what. I'm not going to drive them out all, all at once. That hit me one day. You know, I'm not going to drive them out in one year? Watch this. He says, I will not drive them out before you in one year, lest the land become desolate. 
and the beasts of the field become numerous for you. Follow this. Follow this. Look at this. He says, if I drive out all your enemies at one time, he said, what will happen? He says, you won't be as fruitful in your life in the long run as you will if I, as I, if I allow you to fight these enemies along the way. You see? And secondly, if I drive out all your enemies at once, he said, the, the beasts of the field will become too numerous for you. What in the world does that mean? In the land of Canaan, the Canaanites and the Hittites, Hivites and them, they had been there in the, that land a long time. They knew how to fight the enemy. They knew how to fight the beasts of the field and kill them. Israel was new to that territory. They were not used to it yet. And if God would allow them to face all their enemies at once, they would not have been able to fight their enemies. They had to grow in their ability to face their enemies. Are you with me now? Oh, I like this. This is it. He says, I will not drive them out for you when you're less the land become desolate, the beast field become too numerous to you. Watch this. You ready for this? Little by little, I will drive them out from before you. Little by little, until you have increased and you inherit the land. And I begin to see this. Listen, this is a picture of the way God works in our life. As we step up, we take the mantle of lordship, say, God, I surrender it all. I give it all to you. I sign up for a mission, whatever it is you've called me to do. I want to surrender my life completely to you. Watch this. Then we begin to enter this long lifetime process. We're God, not all at once, but little by little over the rest of our life, he causes us one by one to face our enemies. Watch this. And God does this little by little. He says, so that you may increase and so that you may inherit the land. I love that. You know, one of the beautiful things about what we just saying, you know, when I don't see it, you're working. When I don't feel it, you're working. Is simply this. And that is that one of the great revelations that helps us in our whole life of spiritual growth throughout our whole lifetimes is to understand that God is always working. If it doesn't seem like he's working, all that means is he's just not working on the outside. He's working on the inside. Are you with me now? If you can't see God increasing you outside, you know he's working to increase you inside. Are you with me now? Now, that's so powerful because little by little, he says, you know, you will face your enemies. I will drive them out little by little. We're wanting our blessings to increase. God's wanting us to increase. Many times in our lives, we're waiting for God to show up. Here's the way we look at prayer and believing God. We're waiting for God to show. We're waiting for God to show up. He's waiting for us to show up. Are you with me now? And we want God to drive out all of our enemies at once, but. Little by little, he used each battle to help us increase in faith, strength, and maturity. You know, it's interesting. I, I'll wrap up with this. You know, it's, it's so interesting. Brian, Pastor Brian has mentioned my, I think last night you mentioned my son. They're good friends with 
one of my sons and his daughter who pastor our church that I pastor for years, Josh and Tori. And, and whenever Josh and Tori had their first child, they didn't have four, but they had their first, it was a boy, little Miles. And I'll never forget when Miles was just a little bitty kid. So we were all in the house one day, and Miles did something, fell or hit something, whatever, and he and hurt himself, and he starts crying. I mean, really loud. Ah! And he kept crying and crying until he did, had no breath in him, and he passed out. Y'all ever seen that? Huh? He passed out. And so when he passed out, Josh, he's, Josh is holding him in his arms, and he's passed out like this. Well, Josh freaks out. Oh, my God. He's patting. He says, buddy, 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 stay with me. Stay with me. Come on, buddy, buddy. Come on. Oh, no. I mean, he thought he was losing him. Oh, come on, buddy. And I'm standing back there, and I said, Josh, it's okay. It's just, all, just, just wait. He'll come back. I remember at first he got mad at me. He said, what do you mean? How can you say that? I said, just watch and see. Well, after a little bit, all of a sudden, he, goes, <gasps> he took a big deep breath, and now he's, ah, he's crying again. After that, Josh looks at me. He said, Dad, how did you know that? I said, because when you were a little kid, you did the same thing. <laughs> I said, so I faced that devil before. <laughs> and once you face that devil once, when he comes back later, you know it's all going to turn out all right. Hallelujah. He said, really? I said, yeah. And sure enough, you know, he goes along. And then his second son, he has the same problem. He passes out, you know. But I watched him then with his second son. And he did just like I did. He passed out. Well, he'll come back. Leave him over there on the side. He'll come back. And it's because here's the way God works in us is we start as little children in God and then we apply our faith. And you know what? It's interesting. You know, I have people ask me sometimes, say, Pastor, you know, when, is all, when am I going to have to step believing God for all the change in my life? When is it all going to be done? It's like there's going to be this moment where everything's perfect now. And I said, never. Not until you go be with Jesus. Because there's this lifetime process of what's called sanctification. The process of making our lives more like Christ. And sometimes we confuse today the salvation with sanctification. You hear people give an altar call and say, come to Jesus and he'll forgive your sins and remove all your fears and your doubts and make you rich and bless you on every side. And I think, is that really true? Does God do all that when you get saved? And the answer is no, he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't change everything. He just changes you. And he changes you so you can take your faith in him and apply it to all the stuff that hasn't changed yet and little by little over time conquer every one of those enemies. And you'll start with the small ones and you'll work up to the bigger ones till when you finally face the biggest ones in your life, they're no challenge to you anymore. Come on, somebody give the Lord praise in this place.